Kent and I am, uh, most of you guys know me, I think, some of you may not, but I am privileged to serve uh, humbly as an elder here and also um, it's, it's in a, a lay pastor role. So we have guys on our staff who are elders who are paid by the church, paid by us here, but then we have other lay elders who are pastors as well and I'm privileged to serve in that role and it really is humbling because this morning as I preach on a passage that um, and I'll talk about it in just a minute, how this changed my life more than 20 years ago. What happens is we come into a church or we read the Bible and we go, we read through a psalm that's seven verses and then we just glance past it and move on to the next one. Or we kind of hear it, but then we don't really pay attention to it, really what the meaning of it. But more than 20 years ago, this scripture um, along with several others, and we're going to look in Genesis chapter 12, all throughout the Bible, this, what this passage says is all throughout the Bible, but it radically changed my life. The book, Let the Nations Be Glad, by John Piper, more than 20 years ago, when I read that, um, totally changed who I am, totally changed why I exist on this earth, and what God's mission is, and that I'm not just here for myself, but I'm here for the glory of God. And so this morning as we look into Psalm 67, I've been praying before I came in here and this morning just to pray that prayer and say, God, would you open, um, open my eyes again to why I'm here and why you're here. And that's been my prayer all week long as I've been looking at this off and on all week. And praying and saying, God, show me new what this passage means. What does it mean for my life? What does it mean for our church? Because I think it's life-changing. Yes. I, I think it is. And some of us already zoned out when Ryan was reading that and zoned out and didn't even hear the message of God that is for you individually, for you, yes. and why you exist on this planet, why you were born, and why this church exists. Why are we here? And it's found right here in Psalm chapter 67. Many of you know I, from my day job, I lead a ministry that works with orphaned and vulnerable kids around the world. So that's what I get to do for a living. I've got the greatest job in the world. Sorry if you think you have the greatest job. You don't. I do. And um, God has been so gracious to me to allow me to go around the world and get to share the gospel with tons and tons of people. And not because I'm somebody great, because I am the least of anybody in here, and that is the way I feel. It's true. I'm not just saying that. I'm a sinner, and I struggle just like any of us, okay? But God's been so good to me. I've gotten to travel around the world. We work in different places around the world, in Africa and Asia, um, in the Dominican Republic, and uh, most recently in January, we started uh, working in South Africa, the country of South Africa, such as, okay? You know what I mean, South Africa? The country of? And so... I went there in late uh, April, early May, because we just helped start a school. We worked with some, uh, a family there, it's a retired couple. Check this out. So he was a teacher, and she worked at a bank, and when they got to retirement age, they said this. He said, they came to me and told me, because I served at, I was with them at, their, at the church where they were at, at the time, and they came to me and he said, we don't really want to just cruise out retirement. 
We don't want to just take it easy. We're, not that there's anything necessarily wrong. It's a personal decision they made, but they said, we want to spend it for the kingdom. Where, where would God send us and our gifts and our abilities and how he's blessed us? What, what could we do? And so they ended up going to South Africa. Lawrence and Louise, they're in there about 70 years old, something like that now. And so we partnered with them and another South African couple to start this school amongst some really vulnerable kids and very poor. And they don't have a clue what the gospel is. It's so mixed up. Some of their theology on ancestral worship. And I mean, it's just so messed up, the theology. And everything, anything and everything is okay to believe. You just don't even know what to believe. So we're working among these kids. And so I took a trip down there in late April, flew all the way D.C., D.C. to Johannesburg, longest flight of my life. And, uh, and then get down there in the evening and then took another two-hour flight to the very tip of the world, I feel like, into East London, South Africa. It's about 10 o'clock, maybe 9 o'clock, and we got to travel another two hours north into uh, where we're working, where the school is. It's called Fort White. It's a former missionary compound for pastors. And, and uh, so that's where we're working now and, so, and where the school is. So we go there, and I am flat out, just worn out, tired, and it's about 11 o'clock when we finally get there. And we pull up to the gate, and the gate's locked, and we're in the middle of nowhere, it feels like, and there are no lights around, hardly at all, maybe one or two in the distance. Pull up, and uh, they can't get the lock open, and I'm in the back of this little Toyota Corolla with some luggage all packed against me, and I just lean my head back, cock my head back like that in the back seat, and I look out the window. And I see, um, I see a lot of stars out there. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. And so I crack the door open because they're still struggling with the lock on the gate. And both of them are out there at this time fiddling with it. And I'm thinking maybe I should help, but wow, look at the stars. And so I opened the door and got out. And literally when I stepped out, I audibly said, wow because I had never seen the sky like I had seen in South Africa. Like I never had seen anything like that other than pictures. And I've been outside here, I was having looked up and seen the stars. But to get away from everything, from all light pollution, and to look and see the Milky Way galaxy, I mean from horizon to horizon, everywhere you look, stars upon stars upon stars upon stars. And my mind was, and I'm not exaggerating, it was, it was blown in that moment. Like, holy moly, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. And I even said, like, I've never seen this many stars. I can't believe what I'm looking at. And Lawrence and Louise, about that time, they got the lock open. And we got back in the car, and I started talking. I've never seen this before. It's amazing. Even texted Tammy, and I don't know what I said in the text, but something like, I can't believe what I just saw. I can't believe the sky. And as I got back into where I was staying, got, got into the room where I was staying, was thinking about that. And every night I would go out while I was in South Africa, because it was a clear night the whole time I was there. And I would go out and just look. And just be absolutely amazed at what I was looking at. They said there's 200... 100 to 400 billion stars just in the galaxy of the Milky Way. Beyond that, there are billions of others, galaxies that contain billions of stars. 
And so to think about that then and now, and it's been on my mind this week, to know that the God who placed those billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy desires that I would know him deeply and personally. We just sang about it. Chris led us in that of, God, I want to know you deeper. And that God that created all of those things says, I want you and you and you and you and you and you. I want you to know me deeply. Paul said, I've said this before at Night of Prayer recently, and this has been on my mind as well. In Philippians, Paul, I think it's in Philippians, Paul says, I just want to know you deeper, God. I want to know you and know, know, who, know who you are. And that's at the end of his life. And you're thinking, don't you already know him? He said, I want to know him more. Yes. We just saying that. I want to know him more. And the God who created everything. All of that, he looks at you. Look at me. He looks at you this morning. And he says to your name, he says, I want you to know me. This week, as I've been studying this scripture and looking all through the Bible, I realized as much as I've known him, and a little boy coming to know him all through these years of life in my 40s, late 40s now, that he just wants me to know him. He wants me to know why do I exist? Why am I here? When I was a teenager, I remember asking that question, much like pretty much everybody in this room, at some point you ask this question, why am I here? Why do I exist, God? Is there a God? What's the purpose for me? And yet God answers that question right here. No matter what age you are, if you're a child on up to, you're the oldest person in the room, why are you here? It is answered in the Word of God. And in Psalm 67, I would venture to say, and some scholars have said this, this, this Psalm 67, this seven verses, is a, it's a perfect summary of the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation. The whole thing, it's a summary of it. It just puts it perfectly together in those seven verses, okay? Let's read there again real quick. So if you've got your Bible, look there real quick, and we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations, all people. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity, and you guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You see that? You see those seven verses? Perfect summary of the entire Bible. And yet sometimes we're, we're prone to just fly right by it. Yes. And that's, a, that's the whole, that's the purpose of why we exist was right there. Of what God's doing among us and among his people. This psalm is simple. Very simple. And it has one, um, there's more than one truth. But there is one overarching central truth of this scripture. Okay. It is this. If you're going to ever write or take a note or something like that, here it is right here. God blesses his people. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all nations, among all people. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all people, all nations. Say that with me. God blesses his people. God blesses his people. 
Come on, everybody. God blesses his people. Why? For the sake of his praise among all peoples. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. Do you hear me? God blesses you for the sake of his praise among all peoples. If you're going to write anything down or remember anything at all right now, for you leave here today, you remember this. That is the purpose of everything, that God would bless you for the sake of his praise among who? Everybody, all people. That's why he blessed you. That's why every blessing you can think of, every single evidence of his grace in your life, every good gift that he has given you, the air that you breathe right now is a gift from him. What's the purpose of that gift? For the sake of his praise among all peoples. That's the reason he has blessed you this morning with the home to live in, with the clothes that you wear, with the family you have, with the job that you have, with the health that you have, with the influence you have. Why did he do that? God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among some people, people in Melissa, all people. Thank you, Sherry. Paul, I need an amen. Okay? Somewhere in here, I need an amen, Paul. All right? God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. Now, if you look at verse 1, okay, look at verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Do you know that this is not original to Psalms, to the writer? We don't know exactly who wrote this. I don't know if it was David. We're not, we're not sure if it was David or not. But the writer is referring back to a, a passage in Numbers. And I, I remember I preached about, I don't even remember what the message was about, but I do remember I talked about the high priest Aaron back several months ago when I preached. But um, this is, comes from Numbers chapter 6, verse 23, or 22 through 24, and it's from Aaron the high priest. And Aaron, he's the high priest. He's the guy. He's the mediator between people and God, the Israelites and God, right? So people, families would come to him, and they would say, hey, high priest Aaron, hey, Pastor Aaron, will you, uh, would you pray for me? And Aaron, probably what would happen is he would say some version of some prayer, and then he would almost always, it's been passed down through the forever. You know, in fact, I pray this exact thing. It's been passed down to me because I pray it even last night. I'm praying, God, would you bless Braden? Would you bless Brooks? Would you bless Brindley? Would you bless my wife? Would you be gracious to them? Let your face shine upon them. That comes from this. When families would come to Aaron, he would say, you know, I'm going to pray this prayer over them. And he would pray this, God, would you be gracious to this person Make your face shine upon them. Bless them, God. Bless them. And it comes from Aaron in, in Numbers. It was all from that. God bless us. I want you to think about what are the blessings in your life? What are, what are those things in your life that, when I, I asked my wife last night, I said, when I, when I say, you know, you're blessed, when you're hashtag blessed, what does that mean? Like, what do you first think of? And the first thought that she came to was the same as mine, probably yours. I think of I think of my family. I think of you know. I think of, of just how blessed I am to have you guys and those who are close to me, my close personal friends. I said, yeah. What else? Well, I just mentioned a few of them, but she think about just your home. The fact I, I, you know, we work with kids around the world who they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, and I have been so blessed. And God's evidence of His grace in my life is that I've never been to that point where I don't know where my next meal is coming from. If I do, it's just, I'm just, just kind of unknown. But I know I'm going to eat. 
But so the food that's in your refrigerator, what you're going to have for lunch today, I had a Whataburger taquito this morning, the evidence of his grace, it's a blessing from God, Whataburger is, isn't it? Amen? All right, amen, I'll wake you up there. All those things are evidences of his grace, of family, of your job, of your influence, of the opportunities that God has given you. The money that's in your 401k is an evidence of his grace in your life. It's a blessing to you. And so when we read this passage of scripture, and we're thinking about Aaron's, the high priest, his blessing over it, is he talking about a um, spiritual blessing only? Because I think it's pretty obvious in the scripture it's a spiritual blessing. He's praying, God bless them, make your face to shine upon them. But it's also talking, I think, if you look in verse 6, it says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So it's clearly talking, and scholars will tell you this, theologians, um, as I've read through this this week, would say that this is a, this blessing that the psalmist is writing about here, it's a comprehensive, it's a holistic, it's in every single thing, every way God would you bless. And as I pray for my children, and I pray for my family, and I pray for our church here, I pray the same thing, God, would you just richly bless us, just overwhelm my kids and my family and this church family and you as a friend to pray for you individually, some of you individually and say, God, put your richest blessings upon them. Just bless them. Bless, bless their socks off. They can't even imagine how good you are. Aaron says there back in Numbers and right here as well, he says in the second part of verse 1, and make his face to shine upon you. Now, as I thought about this, make his face to shine upon me. I honestly, I mean, I prayed that for years, but I start thinking about what, what does that really mean? If, if I said to you, God's going to, his face is going to shine upon you. And I came up and said, his face is going to shine upon you. Oh, that sounds awesome. Awesome. What, what does that even mean? And I think about the passage where Moses goes up, comes off the mountain and comes to the Israelites and, and uh, he walks up and they're like, hey, you're glowing. And he's like, oh, it's okay. Hey, I got something to tell you. And like, no, no, for real, you're glowing. Like you're glowing. Like you're glowing in the dark. Why? Because he had been in the presence of God. So think about this, that the, the, the smile of God would rest upon you and your, your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and those that you love, that he would look at the Parks Church Melissa and go, oh, his face would shine and smile upon us. Now, we pause right there. You think about that. For his smile to rest on your family and on you, that he would bless you in that way. That is an amazing thought, and we could stop right here and just consider, what all does that mean? I know it means good things, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, God, grief. His smile would be upon me. His face would shine upon me. Oh, it's unbelievable. Now, the end of verse 1, if you look in your Bible, look in your Bible. If you've got it out and open, you got your device, it says this at the end of verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And then there is a comma. There is not a period. There's a comma there. I don't care what version you got there. In, in the translation, the literal translation is, that is not an end of the sentence. In fact, there's another part on most of your Bibles. You've seen this before. It's S-E-L-A-H. It's pronounced Selah. And it is maybe baffled you for years when you see that what does that mean salah and there's really no clear um, understanding of really what it means but the consensus among most scholars is this that it is a pause 
And it's a pause, intentional pause, to reflect on what you just read. Are y'all with me? You tracking with me? Okay, there's a pause there, intentional to say, hold up. You think about what you just read or what you heard or what you just sang, because this is a musical term. Think about what and reflect on it, because there's, there's some meaning there, but don't you move on just yet. You think about it. Comma. It's a comma. And then you move on to the next part, okay? And what I've heard said before, the next word in, the, in, this, uh, in verse 2 is probably the most important word in all, the, in all this psalm right here, and it's that. Or some of yours might say, so that. Okay, so he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Think about it, think about it, think about it, dwell on that. Oh, okay, there's a reason, reason here I'm pausing. Okay, what's the next part? It's connected. It's connected. And it says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, among all people. So there seems to be a purpose behind the pause. There's a purpose behind what you just read. What, what did we just read? That God would bless his people he would make his face to shine upon you, that he would be gracious to you. Why? There's a purpose behind it. And the purpose is this. It says it in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, among all people, whatever version you have, that this is the purpose behind the blessing, all the blessings, all the good things that you have in your life. There's a purpose for them, the, the writer says. It is for this reason right here that all peoples would know, all nations would hear, all people would hear. You think about people, and you've heard this term, people groups. You understand me? You track with me? There's people uh, around the world who are identified as a people group. They speak the same language. They may have a certain dialect, and they're a part of a people group. It's estimated there's somewhere between 11, 16, 17,000. We don't know exactly. Only God knows people groups around the world. <clears throat> we are a part of a people group. But you know that we have the Word of God with us. We've had it since we've been born for generations and forever. But do you know <coughs> there's 7.3 billion people on the planet, roughly. 7.3 billion. <coughs> All made up in different people groups. There are close to 2 billion of them. You hear me? 2 billion of the 7.3 billion, two of them who don't even know the name of Jesus. Do you hear me? Two billion who don't even know his name. They've never, they have not even had a chance to respond to him because they've never heard the story of Jesus. Two billion. And that ought to shake you. And if it doesn't, there might be something wrong. Two billion people who don't even know the name of Jesus. And some of them may have heard, there might be another billion or so who have heard, but they don't know the story of the gospel. They've never had the opportunity that we've had. Never. And yet the psalmist says right there that the purpose of your blessing, and I'm pointing at each one of you and me, the purpose of my blessing in my life is for the purpose that those people who may have never heard that they would hear. That's the purpose of it. And that, my friends, for all of us, and I don't have enough time to go through all this, we could look at the entire Bible, and that is the message of it. This right here, verses 1 and 2. 
that God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. And I'll do a quick review, just flipping through it. I won't even flip there. I'll just tell you about it. Genesis chapter 12, there's Abraham, or Abram at the time, before God changed his name. He's married to a lady named Sarai, right? S-A-R-A-I. They're 75 years old. God goes to them. They have not had kids. She's barren. And he says, I'm I'm about to bless you. You're, You're a guy who worships the moon god. You're an idolater. But I am choosing you. You're an unlikely dude. But that's the first example of God choosing unlikely people. All of us. Unlikely. I don't have a lot to offer. He goes to Abraham or Abram and he says, I'm choosing you, bud. And here's what I'm choosing you for. I'm, I'm going to bless you so much. You, your descendants are going to be more than you can count. They're going to be like the stars in the sky you see in South Africa. He didn't put South Africa, but it's the stars in the sky where he was. I'm going to bless you more than, than you can even imagine. And I'm going to do it for a purpose. You're going to bless you're going to bless the world. You're going to bless the nations. You're going to bless other people. I'm blessing you for a purpose and for a reason, and it's to bless others. That's the purpose of my blessing. He gives the same, um, his son Isaac, he, Abraham's son Isaac, he gives him the same charge. He says, I'm going to bless you, Isaac. I'm going to make much of my name through you. I'm going to bless you so much. And the purpose of that blessing is that you're going to bless other people. You're going to bless the world. You're going to bless the nations. That's in Genesis 26. Genesis 28, Isaac has a son. His name is Jacob, right? Jacob's a single guy. He goes to Jacob and says, the the promise to Abraham that I'm going to bless all people, it's it's going to be for you too, bud. He didn't even have a wife at the time. So he's thinking, I'm going to have so many descendants. There are no stars, boys. It's going to be good, good. I can't wait. He goes, to, he goes to Jacob and says the same thing. I'm going to bless you. You're, going to be a ble- you're blessed to be a blessing, Jacob. That's the reason I'm going to do that, so that my name will be made famous, that my name will be made great, that people around the world will know that I am God. That's the reason, Jacob, I'm choosing you, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in so many ways. If we keep going in the Bible, in Exodus, the, the children of Israel are up against it. Nebuchadnezzar is chasing them. They're about to be slaughtered at the Red Sea. God led them there for a purpose by his sovereign will. Put them in that predicament where they have nowhere to go. God's got to come through. What happens? He parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel walk through. Get to the other side, turn around. Boom, all the Egyptians that are following them, they can't swim apparently. And um, they all die there, right there. And it says in Exodus 14, I think it's 4, that God does it for the sake of his praise, for the sake of his name. Why did he do that? Why did he lead it? So that everyone would know that he is God. That's the purpose behind it. In Joshua, I think it's 6, Joshua 6, when, he, um, when Joshua's leading them, they're going into the, the promised land, and they get to Jericho. It's the last city, and there's a big wall. You remember the whole story as a kid? You got the big wall. How are we going to knock that down? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Joseph, Joshua was like, well, I talked to God, and he said, we're going to march around. So march around, and at the end of it, we're just going to yell and blow some and then the walls are going to fall down. Joshua 6 says, why does God do that? What's the purpose of it? So that everyone will know my name and I will be praised among all peoples. That's a story, a story after story after story. And Joshua, all through the book of Psalms, you could do this later. Do a word search or a phrase search on for the sake of my name. For my name's sake, I do this. For the sake of my name, Psalm 23, for your name's sake is in there. Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. We stop there a lot of times. Go on from there. I will be exalted among all peoples. It's over and over and over again. So many examples, I don't have time for it, okay? It's everywhere in the Old Testament. Some would say, is that all you got, Old Testament? What about New Testament? And I'd be like, are you crazy? You read the New Testament? It's everywhere you look. 
the Great Commission, go ye therefore and tell everybody about me. Jesus says, go make disciples. Acts 1 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses to Judea and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. What's he saying? Make my name great. Make my name great. Tell the story of me. Make, make it about me. If he, or it's in Colossians 1 or 2. He says, I don't know if I can find it. Colossians 1, all things were created by him, for him, through him. It's all about him. Y'all remember that scripture? It's beautiful. It says it's all about him. And then skipping down through other scriptures. At the end of the, of the Bible, going through Genesis all the way through to the end of the book, Revelation. I think it's all about end times. It's all about Jesus, actually, if you read it. It's about him and, and chapter 5 and then chapter 7. Oh, it says that every tribe, tongue, and people will stand before him. And that means so many of you in this room, we're going to be locked arm in arm with people from every tribe and tongue and people from our family who have passed on and been there. We're going to be there together shouting to Jesus saying, you're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. You are worthy. It's all about you and you're worthy of our praise. Years ago, I used to teach college students on this exact scripture and some other ones from Genesis 12. And I remember in the middle of it, in the middle of one of these times I'm teaching this, and I thought, God, you are so arrogant. You're so conceited. It's all about you. And I remember thinking that as I'm teaching it, thinking, golly, he sounds so arrogant. It wasn't until later I just confessed that and started looking at Scripture and thought, well, who else, honestly, who else is he going to exalt? Me? You? He is worthy of all praise. Do I give any of you purpose for living? No, and I never will. I won't give my wife purpose for living. I will fail her every time, and she'll fail me, right? As great as she is, she will fail me. And she is not worthy of all praise. She can't forgive sin. She's not holy and perfect. Who is the only one who is? It is God. He's the reason for all of it. All of it. And it says in Revelation, we're all going to be there together. It's going to be all the culmination of everything all points to this one time. Jesus, you're worthy of all praise and glory and honor. It's all about you. It's for you. My life, everything, all of it is for you. Everywhere in Scripture, everything points to this. And somehow, we have missed it in the church. All across the American church, we have totally missed this. That the Bible from start to finish it's all about him. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory being made among all peoples. Now, <clears throat> what happens, in, and I got to hurry, I know, I got time. What happens in our lives when we read scripture, we start taking, picking, and choosing what we're going to believe. That doesn't fit with me. I don't like that, so I'll move on to this. God's amount of love and all that. What happens in this scripture is there's a pause, there's a comma at the end of verse one, isn't there? There's a pause there. It's a continuation, though, of what's next. What happens in our lives is we love verse 1. Stop. God, would you bless me, be gracious, and make your face to shine upon me, period. I'm done. Don't want to listen anymore. And there is a pause, an intentional pause right there that says, no, no, no. You stop right there. You think about how he's blessed you. You think about how he's been gracious to you. What's the purpose And it is all in verse 2. They are a connected thought. 
that your way may be known on earth among all peoples. The danger for us as believers, and it happens to me, I am subject number one, is I am so capable and is it prone, uh, likely susceptible to this. I will disconnect, I will separate verses one and two and shut them away. So nope, verses one and two are separate. When God said, no, they're together. The reason he blessed you with everything you have, everything that I have, every single evidence of his grace. Why did he do that? For the sake of his praise among all peoples. That is the reason he did it. That is the reason he does all of it. Look, I, look, I get it totally, is that we identify, and I love this about God, that he's gracious to us, that his grace and his mercy he flows to me, and I want to focus on that. In fact, when I share Christ with people, that's what I do focus on is his grace, that God, you saved me. In fact, if I was to go around and ask any number of you, just you know, separately, privately, and said, what's the purpose of your Christianity? What's the purpose of all this? You would likely say, well, Jesus died for me. I'm a sinner, and he saved me, and then one day I get to go to heaven. And you would be right. But if we stop right there, if we stop at that point, we put a period on that sentence, <clears throat> then we're not, we're not doing the gospel justice. We have disconnected the purpose of the grace that he's shown in your life and the salvation that he just chose you and said, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to breathe life into you. You were dead. You rose to life. The reason he did that in you and gave you evidence of his grace of opening your eyes to how great he is was for a reason. It's for a reason. It's for you to share him with a lost world. It's woefully inadequate and woefully incomplete when we say, thank you for your grace, and we coast out the rest of our existence getting into heaven. So, whoa, I made it. What'd you do? I accepted you, but I did that. I gave you grace for a reason. Way too often I think it happens is that we, we settle on putting a period there at the end of verse 1, and we move on. And yet God has called you to say, I, I'm here for a purpose and for a reason. You know, we have a trip every year that goes to Kenya. Do you know that last year we didn't have a group that went? No one. We, we, we didn't have no people to go. Which blows my mind. This year, and sometimes, look, I'm not bashing anybody, okay? I understand there are certain seasons sometimes we can't go for different reasons or whatever. I don't know all the reasons for it, but this year we had six who went. Praise God for you six who went. Some of you couldn't go, I understand that. But from possibly many of us in this room, that's not even on our radar. So you've got to leave it to somebody who's more qualified. Leave it to somebody else to go and tell somebody around the world. When God blessed you and me and every single one of us with grace upon grace upon grace, and he has lavished it on you and me for the purpose of that his name would be made known around the, around the world among people who've never heard. And so you know what should happen? We should have people lining up to say, where can we go next? I'll start right here, right across the street, and go to my neighbor. Some of us don't even know our neighbor's names. And we're saying, Jesus, you saved me. Thank you. I'm going to heaven. And he's saying, why, why did I do this for you? For you to make me known, to go and share. Good grief. I'm speaking to me as well. You don't even know their name. 
And yet we would be content to just live our lives like that. And then to hear a, a, a stat like two billion people who've never heard, or to hear about orphans who need help and who need, who need discipleship and to pour into their lives, and we say, let somebody else do that. I got a heart for here. I got a heart for the United States. And I would say, you got, a, you got about 5% of God's heart. God calls us to go here, start where we are, and then we go out. We go out. We share Him. This week, uh, this past week, I went to Sam's and I ran out of deodorant. We all need deodorant. Praise God, we need deodorant. And um, <laughs> amen for our kids. They need deodorant. And I went to Sam's about this four-pack and thought I was doing good. I got Arctic Fresh. And um, so I, I ran out of deodorant, put it on that next morning, and I'm like, shh, shh, and it's soaking wet. Like, what is going on doing this? And I'm like, what is this deodorant? It is, it says deodorant body spray. I'm like, oh my gosh, I bought four of them. So I go to leave and Brayden comes to hug me and he puts his head on my chest and he goes, whoa! And I said, it's Arctic Fresh, Arctic Fresh. So I go around all day. I had a hair dryer out and trying to dry. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But I had the aroma of Arctic Fresh all day. Do you know that we're to have the aroma of Jesus wherever you go and say, God, use me wherever you want. And we go across the street, go pray for my neighbor. Never met him. Say, hey, my name's Kent. I know we don't know each other. Would you, is there anything I could pray for you about? I had a friend who did that. He lives in Allen. Opened up so many conversations because he was the aroma of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. It's who we're called to, to do and be a part of. And say, God, you bless me with everything. Guys, I'll step on some toes right here, and I'm going to step on my own. Sometimes we think about giving, like sacrificially, money. We, we can't remember the last time we sacrificed for the gospel. Ouch. Yes. It is ouch. And I'm speaking to me. I'm not pointing fingers. I often think about this. What would the Kent in heaven, when we have a big decision in our lives, and I say, what would the Kent in heaven, what would he say to me about this? And I think I know the answer. He would say, why are you so worried? Why are you spending all your money on things that don't matter? Why are you so consumed with the things of this world? The only thing that matters is what you do for him. Spend it for Jesus. Spend it for him. God saved me. His grace upon me is for the sake of his praise among all peoples. That's the reason he blessed me with every single thing I have. Think about your health. You got, you got health right now. You say, I can go. I can go share. Ryan, I'm going to go to Kenya next year. Kent, I want to go somewhere. We go to, I was in India in November speaking, speaking with a guy who says, I said, how many people know who Jesus is? He goes, none of them know who he is. Like, come with me. Go. It's not about, hey, just make yourself available and say, God, I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines, and I'm going to step into your grand story. And I'm going to stand before you one day and say, Jesus, I gave you my life. Here I am. My son, I got to finish here, I know. My son, both of my boys play baseball with some of our boys here. Some of your boys play with my boy. And um, there was one particular game, and I'm coaching along with Craig, coaches, and um, Jason, you coach. But anyway, I was at, we we're on the, the first baseline, and my son plays first base and pitcher primarily. Braden does. And um, he is playing first in this game. It's a tight game. And he looks over at me and he goes, Put me in. He wants to pitch. Put me in. He keeps saying this. Put me in to pitch. I want to pitch. I want to get these guys out. 
for some of us in here this morning, God's longing to hear those words from you. To say, God, put me into the game. I've been sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. I've been resting on your grace. I'm doing nothing for you. And yet I look at your word and see it's all over it from Genesis to Revelation. The purpose, the reason he gave you salvation, the reason he gave you the money you have and the resources you have is not so you can give piddly things to God, but that you would open up your arms and your hands and say, God, here I am. Here's my life. Use me. Take my eyes off of, it, off of all the things here. I had a friend who moved to China 15 years ago, and we're standing there. His wife is giving us stuff, and he said, you can borrow it until we get back. And he turned to me, and he said, we're not coming back. We're going to share Jesus with people and giving our lives to the gospel. What, what we need in this church, what we want to see God's blessing here, we want to see God richly bless this, then we get involved with the purposes of God. We make this a part of our DNA to say, God, where would you send us? Send us across the street. Send us across the world to make much of your name. That's what we're about. And God's richest, richest blessings will flow on your life and your family's life and on the life of this church. Can you imagine what would happen in your life and in this church if we said we're stepping into the river of God's blessing and, and, and we're focused on his purposes and God's blessings will flow out like crazy upon your life and my life to take this series and go, God, I am here and I don't exist for myself. I exist about for you. It's all about you and my life. You use it however you want. Right? Amen? Amen. One thing, I do not want to stand before God one day. And I pray this would not be true for you. You stand before God one day and you say, I, I thought about it. I thought about doing some stuff for you. I thought about doing some stuff for you. I thought about it, God, but I never got around to it. But I would look at him and just say, God, my life, it was yours. And although I failed and made so many mistakes, my life was yours and I wanted to use it for your kingdom. I want to make you, made, make you known among people who may have never heard. I want to travel into the world, not for some vacation, but to go and tell people about Jesus because he changed my life. He changed my life. May that be true for you. Look, I know when you hear a message like this, you will think, I need to do something. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, I should have done something, God. And we're all prone to leave here this afternoon and go, I, I need to do something. And then you, you don't. Focus on me. You think, I, I need to do something. And then you don't. And then a week goes by and you think, I need, I need to do something. I remember that message on Psalm 67. I remember reading this in a word. I need to do something. And then, and then you, you don't. And then a month goes by and you still haven't done anything. A year goes by and you still haven't done anything. God is calling you right now. He's saying, I want you to, come on, get in the game. He wants to hear that from you. Put me in, God. Put me in. The biggest smile on his face, his face to shine upon you when he hears it. He said, God, put me in the game. I'm tired of messing around. I'm tired of weak living and weak giving. Then, God, I need to sacrifice and give to your purposes. I'm going to get engaged in what you're doing here in Melissa and in this church. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to serve in any area I can to make much of Jesus. And when there's a time to go around the world, I'm not going to shrink back and say it's for somebody else. I'm going to say, God, here I am. Whatever gifts I have, I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to serve you now. Send me around the world, God, to share you with people. Whatever I have, just use it for you and your glory. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. You'll stand before me and say, yes, Jesus, I gave my life to you. 
because you gave your life for me. So here's one challenge for you. You say, what do I need to do after this message? Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? It's simply this. I think you pray. You turn to your spouse even right now and say, we need to pray. And say, God, what do you want us to do? What do we need to adjust in our life? Adjust our giving? We have no room. We've created lifestyles that don't allow for us to ever be generous. We should be the most generous people on the planet. We should be giving like crazy. You say, I need to do this or that. God, whatever it is, God, you want. You turn to your wife or your husband and you say, we're going to pray about this. You take 30 days. You take two weeks. You take until school starts to pray as a family and say, God, what do you want? We're going to say yes. And then you get engaged in what God's doing. Okay? You got opportunities. Heath is just going to share in a few minutes. Opportunities to serve in a student ministry. Why do you keep sitting on the sidelines? When you should be saying, God, put me in. Use me. I don't have a lot, but I'll give it to you. Get engaged in what he's doing and saying, God, I exist for the sake of your name and your praise among all peoples. That's why I exist. Okay? Can we do that? Commit to each other? Just pray about that. Say, God, listening, I'm listening, and whatever you say, I'll be obedient. All right? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace for being so good to us. We never deserved it, but you've been so good to us. And God, may we see this morning and open our eyes even further this afternoon. God, of how good you've been and that we're blessed to be a blessing to the nations, to our city here in Melissa, but around the world. And so God, open up our eyes to it and may we say yes to you, God. We love you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving your life for us. And we pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.